Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Crypto.com, Bitstamp, and Nexo.io, and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Sunday, September 12th, and that means it's time for Long Reads Sunday. On Wednesday of this week, the New York Times' Nicholas Kristof wrote an editorial called, We're number 28 and dropping. A measure of social progress finds that the quality of life has dropped in America over the last decade even as it has risen almost everywhere else. Basically, the measure that Kristoff is referencing is something called the Social Progress Index, which finds that out of 163 countries that were assessed worldwide, the United States, Brazil, and Hungary are the only ones in which people are worse off than when the index began in 2011. What's more, the declines in Brazil and Hungary were smaller than America's. Now, before you reject this index, it is basically inspired by the research of a number of Nobel-winning economists and collects 50 metrics of well-being, from nutrition to safety to freedom to the environment to health education and more. Interestingly, a lot of the problem areas are where we have a really good something, but not good access to that something. So for example, the United States ranks number one in the quality of universities in the world, but only number 91 in access to quality basic education. When it comes to medical technology, we are obviously number one as well, but number 97 in access to quality healthcare. When I see these numbers, I can't help but think about the newsroom or the first scene from the newsroom, which was an Aaron Sorkin series which followed West Wing and which featured Jeff Daniels as a frustrated news anchor who's lost his faith in America. This very dramatic first scene is one in which, at a college conversation, the character played by Jeff Daniels snaps and tells a student that America isn't the greatest nation in the world anymore. Go look up just that scene on YouTube if you haven't seen it, but anyways, that's what I was thinking of when I was reading this. But what I want to return to is actually an analysis of this. Luke Groman tweeted out, This is a predictable result of, quote, USD Dutch disease whereby the U.S. since 1971 became the Saudi Arabia of money. He then pointed out where that phrase, USD Dutch disease, came from, 
And it's a 2019 piece from Alphaville in the Financial Times called How to Diagnose Your Own Dutch Disease. I think it was a really interesting reference and a really great article. So even though it's more than a year old, I wanted to read How to Diagnose Your Own Dutch Disease for you today. This was written by Brendan Greeley in the Financial Times Alphaville on March 13th, 2019. Imagine you are the finance minister of a small developing country that has just discovered an ore belt rich in cobalt, a metal that has more than doubled in price over the last five years. You, a capable technocrat, are familiar with Dutch disease. You know that the sudden discovery of reserves of a high-value commodity can cause sclerosis in other industries, particularly manufacturing, as happened in the Netherlands after the discovery of natural gas in the late 1950s. Now, imagine you are the Secretary of the Treasury of the United States of America. For cobalt-rich ore, substitute dollars or dollar-denominated assets, or perhaps just treasuries. You still need to worry about Dutch disease. We just never talk about it that way, because the whole framework of booming commodity sector analysis is a condescension we reserve for developing countries. But anyone can get Dutch disease. The U.S. is showing symptoms. And so Alphaville offers a pamphlet, you know, in the interest of public health. How to check for Dutch disease. Know what you're looking for. There's rich history here of both academic research and practical recommendations. Saxon Warner found an inverse correlation between resource abundance and economic growth. Gilfeson et al. found an inverse correlation between a country's economic growth and the size of its primary sector. Most models of Dutch disease focus on exchange rates. Demand for a country's primary commodity makes its currency relatively more valuable, depressing exports of manufactured goods. But Krugman suggests that once a country neglects its manufacturing sector, it may have a hard time rebuilding it. More recent work focuses on institutions and inequality. Mellum looked at countries that get more than 10% of GDP from resource exports and showed that Dutch disease is more likely to afflict countries with corruption and weak rule of law. And Robinson suggested that politicians tend to overextract resources, they discount the future too much, and that a commodity boom raises both the value of being in power for politicians and the means to influence elections. Consider your risk factors. The United States certainly has a rich vein of a highly valued commodity. America creates about a quarter of global GDP, but well over half of the currency reserves of the world's central banks is socked away in dollars. The dollar is by far the dominant currency for international credit. Dollars are so important as an invoice currency for global trade that shifts in the value of the dollar are an effective predictor for international trade volumes. So many currencies are either explicitly pegged to the dollar or tied to it through trade that 50-60% to 60 of global GDP swings with the dollar, making it part of a dollar zone. The dollar is universally a store of value, a medium of exchange, and a unit of account, all the things we consider money. It is arguably the only currency that is all three of these things. The United States Treasury is not the only place to get dollars. The United States isn't even the only place to get dollars. Foreign institutions create dollar-denominated assets, for example, but it is the best place to get dollars. The U.S. dropped the dollar's peg to gold in the 1970s, then began borrowing in the 1980s, then discovered that other central banks wanted American debt because it was a safe asset denominated in dollars and they considered it to be money. Just as the Netherlands struck natural gas, the U.S. struck dollars. It found a gusher. The U.S. is not the only producer of dollars. It's possible to create dollar-denominated assets outside the U.S., for example. There's a difference between what the U.S. reports is owned by foreign central banks and what the central banks report. That difference is a synthetic dollar called the euro dollar. 
but America is the dominant producer of dollars. In oil, they'd call it the swing producer. Basically, around 1980, the United States discovered that it was the Saudi Arabia of money. Bordeaux and Macaulay's paper offers the best summary we've read of current arguments over the dollar. They pick at two questions. What causes the demand for dollars, and is the dollar system sustainable? These are worthy and interesting questions, and Alphaville can do no better than Bordeaux and Macaulay to address them. We are, however, interested in a different question. Is being the Saudi Arabia of money good for America? What's going on, guys? I'm excited to share that one of this month's breakdown sponsors is Crypto.com. Crypto.com offers one of the most cost-efficient ways to purchase crypto out there, as they've just waived the 3.5% credit card fee for all crypto purchases. What's more, with Crypto.com's MCO Visa card, you can get up to 10% back on things like food and grocery shopping. When you buy gift cards with the Crypto.com app, you can get up to 20% back. Download the Crypto.com app today and enjoy these offers until the end of September. Bitstamp is the original global cryptocurrency exchange. Since 2011, Bitstamp has been the preferred exchange for serious traders and investors. Trusted by over 4 million customers, including top financial institutions. Bitstamp is built on professional-grade trading technology. Their platform is powered by a NASDAQ matching engine, and their APIs are recognized as the best in the industry. Download the Bitstamp app from the App Store or Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to learn more and start trading today. That's bitstamp.net slash pro. In this crisis, many investors aim to keep and grow their digital assets. Others seek to maximize the yield on their cash. Nexo allows you to achieve exactly these two goals. The company offers instant crypto credit lines against all major cryptocurrencies, with interest rates starting from only 5.9% APR. Nexo also lets you earn up to 10% annually on your fiat and digital assets. What's more, interest is paid out daily, and you can add or withdraw funds at any time. Get started at nexo.io. Examine yourself. So let's go back to the original research on Dutch disease. We have a basic model of an economy where the export of a single commodity raises the exchange rate, discouraging the export of manufactured goods. If the commodity is the dollar, then demand for the dollar raises the value of the dollar itself. This isn't too hard to wrap our heads around. And since 1980, the dollar has appreciated, even as the US has declined as a share of global GDP. We'd expect to see inflation in non-tradable services like medical care and college tuition, but not in tradable goods like t-shirts and TV sets. And we'd expect a decline in the value added to GDP from manufacturing. None of these are dispositive, and Alphaville is sadly not an econometrician. But they have all happened. It gets more interesting when we look at the more recent research on Dutch disease around institutions and inequality. The federal government alone controls the most important dollar-producing load, treasuries. Foreign central banks treat U.S. federal debt obligations like money. It's liquid, holds its value, and is denominated in dollars. When people in capital markets say they're going to cash, they don't actually buy dollar bills, they buy treasuries. So if the U.S. has Dutch disease, from reading Robinson, we'd expect the value from the creation of new federal debt to be distributed as patronage to a small group of people with access to power. We'd expect the federal government to overproduce debt without considering long-term value or sustainability of production, and we'd expect the right to produce debt to raise the value of being in power. This is a fair description of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. Treasuries aren't the only dollar-denominated safe assets. Real estate is too. 
We'd expect an appreciation in real estate prices and foreign hyperinvestment in exactly the kinds of real estate that best serve as a safe asset. Luxury apartments and business towers in large cities. A Park Avenue address is a safe asset too. Or we could go back and use the framework of Maloom to ask about the quality of institutions. After four decades of production of federal debt and dollar-denominated assets, mortgages, say, bundled into tradable securities, what does the country have to show for it? Were the proceeds distributed equally? Did the country invest in education or shore up retirement plans for a demographic bump? Make infrastructure investments? And if those things didn't happen, and they didn't, is the United States among those countries with institutions not fit for the task of handling a commodity boom? Get help. Norway was a poor country with institutions good enough to handle the discovery of oil, and now it's a rich country fully aware of Dutch disease and working to avoid the worst of it. There are many case studies from Holden at the University of Oslo, and the Norwegians are eager to help, for example through the Oil for Development program run by the Norwegian Agency for Development Coordination. Dutch disease is a well-known, well-studied problem. There are ways to avoid it, although they are not easy. Consider alternative treatments. One of the clarifying consequences of a discussion around modern monetary theory is that it looks at federal appropriations as a tool to be consciously created and deliberately used. Until now, the United States has merely borrowed and appropriated while idly wondering, sometimes, whether it's all sustainable, avoiding the discussion of what best to do with the windfall. So instead, the country pretends it can't create debt, creates it anyways, and distributes the proceeds terribly. Alphaville welcomes any innovation that would stop the pretending, but is not convinced that U.S. institutions would handle MMT appropriations with any more discretion than they did the proceeds from debt creation. Seriously, though, get help. Call Oslo. It's time. Now, I usually don't do an analysis at the end of my long read Sunday, but I just wanted to point out a couple quick things. First, I think that question, is being the Saudi Arabia of money good for America, is a central Overton window shift that we're finally asking right now. You've heard it on my episodes with Luke Groman, who inspired this one, and Lynn Alden. I think it's really important that we're finally asking that. Second, I've said before, even though it doesn't appeal to me and it has a huge number of issues, that part of why MMT makes sense as a response to this environment is that it at least is not avoiding these tough conversations and is offering a vision for the future, a theory that is tangible. In fact, that's why I think MMT and Bitcoin are these interesting sort of yin and yang twin forces that are both doing that, but in very, very different ways. Finally, I think this is a great piece, but I really think Alphaville would do a lot better to stop referring to themselves as Alphaville because it was weird and it was weird to read. Still though, appreciate the great article and I appreciate you guys listening. Until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace.